Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number three. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, and discover the treasure in Christianity. This week, we are looking at different ways people read the Bible, as well as reflecting on why some people have found Not a Fan to be such a good book, and others like us haven't. So, we'll hope you come along for the conversation. You can be part of that conversation by leaving a comment at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash three. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Greg and I were having a conversation after one of our recordings and I'd left the tape rolling and it was so good. I thought it would make a make for a good podcast episode. So anyway, the where the, the conversation turned to different ways of reading the Bible. And uh, so that's kind of the backdrop is, as Greg drops right into it. So here it is. You know, one of the big things you, one of the big discussions, and, and I'm really leery about this too, is this, um, there's two different notions. One is anybody can read the Bible and God can speak to you, which is not saying anybody can read the Bible and get it all right, but just anybody can read the Bible and God's, God, God can speak to you and the implication is God can speak to you in a positive way. God can speak to you, in, a, in other words, in a way which cultivates right relationship with God. God can use the Bible through the Holy Spirit to cultivate right relationship between you and God. So that's the, that's the better way of saying it. That's the one plat- platform. The other platform is, this is a very, and maybe platform is not the right word, but this is a very... It's a difficult book to read. It's an ancient text written to an ancient audience uh, with uh, various forms of um, rhetoric, presentation, and sort of rules of engagement, if you like, about what's historical, uh, et cetera, about authorship that we don't play ball with anymore. They're not part of our, our rules. You can't play ball with us now in the 20th century with those rules. But that doesn't mean that those rules are unfair. They just happen to apply to a different time. And so there's this idea then that you need to be a skilled reader in order for God to speak to you and to, to work in right relationship. And I guess my perspective is I hold both. And I don't think, I think there are certain things that being a skilled reader actually gets in the way of. So you've got to kind of be careful with that. But there are also things that being an unskilled reader leaves you wanting. And so, I mean, ultimately what we want to do, and this is, this is, this is why, you know, churches that, um, I don't know how to say this in any better way, churches that really care about what they're doing are going to make sure their ministers have some sort of, of, of education because you cannot become an educated, uh, knowledgeable, uh, person about this ancient text without being immersed in it. And that education doesn't have to be formal, right? I think you or I or anybody could do this on our own studying, but we can't do it by not studying. We can't do it by just saying, I read God's word and God speaks to me magically, you know, and, or by the Holy Spirit or whatever. And, and magically, I understand things just as well as, say, somebody who's gone through and had some training. I don't think that works, right? So I guess my... Like you say about the whole 
point that maybe Kyle Adaman wouldn't recognize himself as being Calvinist per se, but he's got Calvinist influences. Um, that is part of recognizing those influences and then asking yourself questions about, is that a good thing? Are those influences helpful? Um, why do I have them? When do I see them coming up? Like, so, you know, I'm not automatically going to take out the scalpel if I'm Kyle Eidelman and this, and kind of like, you know, dissect those things out of myself. But I would want to question myself about who I am, why I hold my perspectives. Um, you know, it's not just, <laughs> I often get the sense that it's, you know, we Christians go to non-Christians and kind of quiz them as to what they believe and why. Well, I hope we're quizzing ourselves as to what we believe and why. And we realize that we don't all hold the same views, not just people from different traditions like Reformed versus Anglican versus Catholic versus Baptist, but that within the same tradition and within the same church and within the same family, like your, your, your kind of, you know, biological family, you may have grown up with these people all, your whole life, but you, you hold different views and really exposing those views in the sense of putting them on the table is what we need to do. And then part of the benefit of having that background, that education, whether that's formal or whether that's spending time going through commentaries, spending time working with people, reading people who have taken the time themselves to become specialists and skilled uh, readers of the Bible. Um, it's about understanding why we hold those views. And ultimately, we can ask questions about, well, you know, if there's three or four different ways to read this, this particular verse, why do I read it this way? And what would it mean if I read it a different way? That's such an interesting tension, though. The, the tension between the two, the, the two possibilities that you gave a little earlier, which are, you know, the, that just in the, in, the na in the act of reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit can speak to you versus, yeah, the more academic approach. Yeah. And I, my, my personal honest, you know, and I'm an intellectual guy, right? I, I think about things. I was reading, oh, what was it? The whole section about Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. You know, if you ask, it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And it ends in verse 11. I'm, that was verse 7 I read. I'll read verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good, good, good things to those who ask him? And, you know, I read that both as an unskilled, not an unskilled reader, as a, as a reader who is looking to engage with the text and hear God speak to me. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about like from the, from the more academic perspective, which is where else does this occur in the New Testament? I know that there's another occurrence of this, you know, and I eventually found it in Luke eleven thirteen, 13. Um, and it's not quite the same. And so you, you know, compare and contrast those two things in their context. But this gets this, uh, hold that thought, this gets though to the part that, that really trips me up, which is, I assume that when Kyle Edelman wrote Not a Fan, that he thought that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him as he's writing this book, as he's reading the text, and that, you know, he's got the right message and yet we're reading it and we're like no this is there's some problems with this message 
So <laughs> how can we both be right? Well, I wasn't saying before that someone who's reading the text without a lot of background and training who is looking who was reading the text as a Christian or maybe as someone who is at least open to the possibility that they're that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them versus someone who is trained and trying to understand the text and understand God and looking for the same sort of thing with the Holy Spirit perhaps, but not, you know, has more training. I'm not saying they're both going to get the same thing out of the text. And I'm not going to say that they're both going to be equally right. And I do think that there are impediments on both sides. But I don't think, I mean, I'll be honest with you, right? I, I, I'm going to... There, there's no way around it. And I, I have a personal, I have a personal issue with this. I have a personal issue against myself or against this notion in myself, which is that, you know, uh, I came from a background where I was a very dogmatic background and I am not interested in being dogmatic. It, it, it's not helpful. It doesn't work. But if somebody pushed me to the end of the day and at the end of the day and said, listen, Kyle Adaman says, or this author says X and you say Y, which is right. Y is right. And X is, X is wrong. You know, it's not wrong as there's nothing good here. There's no value here. There's nothing to be taken from this. Or wrong in the sense of it's exploitative. It's somebody going in to try to, you know, some Christians have this notion of, uh, you know, people misleading them. It's not somebody trying to be misleading. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I do think what I'm what I'm saying is 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 more right than wrong, and if I'm cutting back or uh, uh, trying to be constructively critical uh, uh, versus an author we're reading, I'm going to hold my position, and I think I've got good reason to. And hopefully through the podcasts, you know, I can explain that. We can look through the text, and I can say, well, you know, okay, sure, you got. Oh, let's take this example. You've got Matthew. Um, it's actually probably Matthew 6 to, to, to 11. And I'm not going to read, well, I'm not going to get into that whole piece, but it's probably Matthew 6 to 11, not 7 to 11, which is the, 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 a core group. And if you compare that core group with uh, Luke 11, I think it's probably 6 through 13. I'm just kind of looking. But but it's that whole process. And, and so I, I might, like somebody's put a... Well, do we, I mean, I hate to pick on Kyle Adelman, but we've obviously we've spent a lot of time working um, with Kyle Adelman, and and I think it's fair to say he's written a book, and if he wanted to look at matters more comprehensively, he would have. But you know, uh, so many of our criticisms have been that when Kyle Adelman makes use of the Bible for support, it doesn't seem like he's really considered the context very well. Or if he has, let's say, you know, there's a, like we're talking about here, there's an appearance of this kind of, uh, this textual piece or this pericope, as we call it. Pericope just means little story. There's this little story uh, in Matthew, and then there's the same little one, little story in Luke. And we kind of, we, we kind of bounce those back and forth. We don't kind of interchange them, but we say, well, what is he saying in Matthew? What's the author saying in Matthew? And what's the author saying in Luke? And how can we kind of, do, do they help us kind of understand each other? And usually, yeah, they do. They give us some insight. We can see that they're different, but we can also learn from the similarities. And so, 
if I'm putting forth a perspective that's different than what Kyle's putting forward, hopefully I'm showing you in the podcast, I'm saying to you, like literally, John, here is why I hold this view or here's why I'm getting torqued up because this guy's reading this and it's like, did you not read the three or four verses beforehand or the three or four verses after? Do you not think that they have a role here? Right? Here's the role I think they have. You don't have to believe me. You may think I'm wrong, but at least I'm going to argue for my case. And if it's about scripture, I'm going to argue from scripture. I'm going to look at it. And if I can bring in something that's, you know, about the culture, about an honor and shame culture or whatever, I'll bring in a commentary and I'll tell you who it is and I'll tell you why I think they've got a good point. So, no, I don't think we can both necessarily, sometimes we can, right? Sometimes it can be, you know, he's got a good point and, you know, this other commentator that I'm talking about has got a good point and we can kind of say, hmm, you know, I guess you could go either way. But there are times where we can't do that. I keep having this inner conflict of, and I'll probably have it for a while until we sort it out really well. But yeah, I continue to have this inner conflict of, well, if I want to be honest and have integrity and say that I'm not doubting other people's experience that have found not a fan, the message of not a fan positive and helpful. But I feel like I'm I'm criticizing or doubting their experience if I'm saying that the message of not a fan is not sound. Or I'm quite like there's. Hmm. I think you're leaving them in a, in a bit of a limbo position, right? It's like, hey, this worked for you, but really, this may not work. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm trying to take this Buddhist, you know, accept everything. Uh, <laughs> Like everyone is right. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm wanting to le- I'm I'm wanting to embrace the gray, but how can how can we say that how, how can you say that, you know, people can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit can speak to them, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them a hundred percent of the time. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and other times they have their own agenda and stuff they're bringing mm-hmm. to what's there. And when, which is which, like, who knows? Well, well, yeah, and I think we're always bringing stuff. Like, I always have my own agenda. And, and you know, and we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be without agenda. It's not like I'm coming to the Bible. You know, this is part of the discussion that I think we need to have. Like, looking back into the history of philosophy, there are some helpful precedents about how it is we um, we kind of interact with the world around us and how we interact with things like knowledge or even reading. You know, when I read something, am I neutral? Is that the way I'm supposed to be? Is there some sort of neutrality? And of course, the Bible actually isn't um, suggesting neutrality. The Bible is suggesting it's, it's a rhetorical, like the New Testament, for example, the Gospels are, if you like, they're... Um, the rhetorical documents in the most positive sense of the word. In other words, they're documents that are trying to be persuasive. They're trying to cultivate belief in the reader. They're trying to persuade the reader that Jesus exists, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that uh, the right way to be as a human being is to be in right relationship with Jesus. And the entire text is about 
spelling out what it is to be in right relationship with God. And of course, the New Testament takes that in a slightly different direction as Jesus, of course, is included in that lens of who is God, right? We've gone from that that uh, monotheism of um, uh, ancient Israel, no, no, always with the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, to this kind of Trinitarian view in the New Testament. But nevertheless, God exists, um, that Jesus is God, and that we are to be in right relationship with God through Jesus. That's, that's the core message, right? And how we go about that, what, re- what relationship means, what right means, those are things that the text spells out for us. Um, here, remind me of where we're going here. I'm just kind of dropped my train of thought. I was ask, I was kind of raising the question of how can we holding this notion that people can just read the Bible uh, and the Holy Spirit can speak to them, and kind of questioning that to right. say, but well, I would. In other words, how can how can I let someone have their experience and not judge their experiences right or wrong, but at the same time, like question whether that the Holy Spirit was really talking to them when they formed that conclusion. Well, again, that, I think those are, I mean, those are, those, those are amazing questions. And that's, I think that's, that's kind of the core of what we need to do when we're faced with, uh, you know, she says she's a Christian and he says he's a Christian and, and she reads this text and understands this and does that. And she, he understands, you know, reads the text and, understands it differently and does this thing differently. And you're kind of throwing your hands up in the air saying, what's going on? You know, how am I supposed to adjudicate? Right. And I, I guess for me, part of the, I would want to expand the, the, the conversation and say, okay, we've got an issue with interpreting the Bible, right? We've got an ancient text that needs, um, needs exegesis. I don't have to exegete. Well, you, you know, I've got to, I've got to understand Harry Potter, if you like J.K. Rowling's world or Tolkien's world or, or I don't know, uh, Michael Ondaatje or, or any, any author that I'm reading. I have to understand their world, the world that they've created in order to be able to interpret the text and the story that they're putting out to me properly. But I think we have an additional issue when it comes to um, religious texts because particularly religious texts that expect us to have or that state that there's some sort of interplay between them and the real world. When you read a novel, that novel may cause you to see the world differently. But the novel generally isn't telling you that that's going to happen and it should happen. The Bible is different, right? The Quran is different too that way. The Hebrew Bible is different too that way. And I'm assuming that many of the, the Hindu and Buddhist writings are different that way too. They're talking to you and presenting stories that are to have a specific sorts of impacts on the real world. So we not only have a problem then about interpreting an ancient text, so we have a problem of exegesis of a text, we also have this issue of interpreting experience. This part is usually left completely wide open. It's not touched. It's not looked at at all. So a lot of my, the focus in my um, uh, 
my graduate research was looking at, you know, how do we interpret experience? How do I, how do I go about understanding what it means when something happens in my life? I, how do I attribute meaning to it? And how do I kind of say, oh, this came about because of that or et cetera? Like, what's the process? What's involved? And so I think on the one hand, if somebody said to me, I read Not a Fan and it changed my life. I got rid of a bunch of junk in my house. I uh, stopped uh, spending all my time uh, watching films, uh, you know, adventure films and, and, and war flicks. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those types of films, but whatever types of film you want to say. And I started spending more time engaging with people in poorer communities in my city. And that the Holy Spirit led me to that. And if, if you were to say to me, like, what do you think about that, Greg? I would say, wow, that's, that sounds great. That sounds really cool. You know, um, if somebody said to me, I, I, I've, you know, the, 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 one could go too far in some of that. One could go a little bit overboard in, in saying things like, you know, I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't do anything for, self, for entertainment anymore or whatever. And I would wonder, oh, gee, well, how do you, how do you take care of yourself? Or how are you loving yourself? Because loving yourself is actually something we're supposed to do as Christians. But, but generally, I would say those are good things. Um, but on the other hand, I would also want to ask some questions about, I don't know, I would want to dig down a little deeper into each one of those. So movies, what was that about? And what, what does that look like? What did it look like? And what do you think it should look like now? What would that look like for other people? And then helping out with the poor. What exactly do you mean by that? And what, what do you do? And how does that work out for you? What, what sort of things do you do? And, and uh, who do you do it for? And how, uh, what's the impact of, you on that, of that on you um, as, you're, as you're doing it or as you're living in the rest of your life, you know, when you're not doing those types of engaging with, with, with those people? And so I guess for me, I question whether most people have I question whether how whether and how much time most people put into interpreting their their the 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 actions that they take and the things that they undergo in their lives. And my experience is that most people spend very little time doing that. And sometimes that's that's just cool, you know, we kind of go from one thing to the next in our lives. And we say like, hey, you know, I've got enough to do. I don't have to like think about why I'm working at this firm and, and, and why I kind of respond to negatively to this type of, uh, I don't know, uh, response from my boss in a meeting when he's talking to me this way or that way. It wasn't really that bad, but I responded negatively or why I treat my spouse like this when, you know, there's lots of things that we don't ask questions about. And I guess what I'm suggesting is that if we began to see um, Christianity, well, essentially, I wonder if there isn't a need for a lot of us to take more time to become conscious of ourselves, how we interact with the people around us, how we interact with the physical world around us, and ultimately how we interact with God. I think we kind of get the sense that if I've interpreted the Bible, if I've taken some time, maybe if I've looked up, looked up a troublesome verse or two in a concordance or a uh, 
commentary and I've maybe gone to my pastor and talked about it, that I've done my due diligence. I've done what I need to do. And I guess I would probably say, no, I don't think you have. So I guess a lot of what, if you're really wanting me to dig beneath what, beneath what I'm doing, a lot of it comes from a place of having spent a lot of time because I've come from a very difficult past and I've had to do this with, with my childhood. It's become, um, habit. It's become regimen, if you like, for me. And I'll ask myself questions about, you know, that, that, that's that guy in that store really ticked you off. Why was that? And I'll kind of, you know, spend a little time. I'll journal about it, a little bit about it. And then if I find something and I'm like, ah, that's not really a really good answer of why that guy ticked you off. I mean, how, how do, what do you think you can do about that? And I might speak to somebody about that. And I'm not trying to put myself out there as some sort of uh, gem or anything like that. But I think <laughs> what ultimately we have to do is we have to engage with our world as people who are conscious. And part of what this process is, is coming to become more conscious. So people who are affected positively by not a fan, I would generally like rubber stamp say, I think that's probably a good thing. How exactly that's worked out and what exactly you think out of that, what exactly you've given up as a result of, say, being in a better relationship with God. Like if that's what people say, my positive effect of reading not a fan is I have a better relationship with God. What do you think about that, Greg? You have a better relationship with God? Sounds like a good thing. Tell me more. That would be my response. And then I might get into that. And they might talk. And we might get into it a little bit more. And I might think, hmm, that's interesting. Or, hmm, that's good. Or, hmm, that sounds a little questionable. And so, you know, I, I, wonder, I, wonder, what the, um, I wonder what it would ultimately be if you had 10 people in a room who wrote five-star reviews of Not a Fan. And you and I sat down and had podcasts with each one of them. I wonder what we would find. It's really yeah. well laid out. Well, like you know, and there's no easy answer. They, they might impress, all 10 no. of them might impress us. And they, all 10 of them might ultimately, we might walk away saying, wow, this book was categorically good for them. But I think too, because you and I have found some things, because the book is based on the Bible and you and I, going through the book, have found some parts in which Kyle Adamant's use of the Bible is, I think it's fair to say, is really wanting. I think whatever they've got through that book will be incomplete. As good as it is, I think it will still be probably incomplete. And that's where we could help. And of course, if it's not, you know, if parts of it aren't good, well, we could probably help there too. Yeah, I'd really like to, the, the whole, the, your discussion about experience mm. and understanding our experience. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know. That just sounds complicated. It sounds a little overwhelming. The yeah. Well, I guess just in the sense that it's really easy to just. Hmm. I have to think about that more. Just the notion of experience. There's so many aspects to it. There's. I just had my experience, and it's mine, so nobody can question it. There's yeah. I had this experience and it, like, uh, 
Like how much of it is in your head? How much of it is real? How much of it is interpretation? Like, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's all part of it, right? And, and I think we could kind of, but I I do think that's the nuts and bolts of it, really, really. Like it, this isn't like some, oh gee, we got to get through this and then we'll get to the real part. It's like this is the real part. You know what I'm saying? Like working with this is literally where we're at. And so for me, when I am, when things aren't going well with me and God. I remind myself, I literally call back to mind the incidents and events that were formative and essential to my return to Christianity. And I literally say to myself, you know, these things happened the way you read them then. And I go back and I look at them and I say, you know, did you misread them? Did you misunderstand them? Did you misinterpret your experiences or did you make something out of those interpretations you shouldn't have? No. All right, then can you, can you stand with this? Can you, can you rely on this? Is this real? You know, and I remember, I'll just add this last part because I've got a, I've got a fold for now. I've got a, got a head out, but I remember, um, you know, Greg Lowry, whom we both know. And when his youngest son was born, Lisby almost died. And he, he, he went back and his, I may have him wrong here on exactly, but he was like, is the crucifixion real? Is, do I really believe in these things? And I think obviously tied in that were his own experiences of God. But he went through that whole process. He went through all those experiences and all those understandings and he kind of put them all together in his, gathered them in his hands as though it were. And this is what sort of sustained him. And this is where he, he, just, he just stuck with that. That was where he was. And so I think these things are crucial. You know, this, and they're, they're complicated and time consuming. But I think if we, this is where I think we'll stand or we'll fall. And this is where Christianity will become this enlivened, wonderful, beautiful treasure, or it will become this, this snarl or maybe even this um, time bomb. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash three. If you'd like an email notification when new episodes are available or other news, subscribe to our mailing list. Also available in the right sidebar of the website. We also welcome your questions, comments, or suggested discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Tune in next week for a new episode. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com, I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com.